Well, because it's Mother's Day, and maybe more importantly, because mothers, I think, of family, more importantly, because of comments that were made this last week from President Barack Obama, um, and just hold on a second. <laughs> um, really, track with me in what I'm introducing this here, because it's God's plan on how we deal with stuff. Um, his statements talking about the fact that he supports same-sex marriage. And I want to tell you something. If you did not see that live, you only heard clip, clips on it, I want you to go on the website or go on the Internet, and you can look, just type in Obama same-sex marriage, and you'll have a dozen or maybe a thousand different places that you can view it. The reason I want you to view it, it makes complete perfect sense if you don't have this book. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's very sensible, very rational, very logical, and very caring of sounding if you don't have God's perspective on the issue. And so watch that um, because it shows you what we're up against as Christian people. Because of his statements this last week supporting uh, same-sex marriage and because of the fact that this is a kid's service and we want you kids of the church and moms and dads of the church to know what is right and wrong. I think today is the perfect time to take the opportunity to talk about marriage. Um, kind of flows with the Mother's Day thing and it flows with current events. And you know I'm not a current event guy. I don't do that in sermons. Um, but I think this is really just the right time to jump ahead. We're going to jump ahead in the Gospel of Mark a little bit. And don't worry, moms and dads, completely rated G. Um, I've done my best. I ran it by some moms to ask how I could talk about some stuff in a way that wouldn't that wouldn't uh, would go over the heads of some, and that's good. Um, but I want to be clear from the beginning. I in no way am trying to be political today. And some of you really need to hear this. I'm not trying to be political today. In fact, I really believe something about the Church of Jesus Christ. I believe the church should be apolitical. You know what that means when you put apolitical, apolitical? It means it should not be a place that stands for one political persuasion. I honestly believe that's God's plan. See, because political views come and go, but the church always remains. The church should be a place where people, we should be an expression in the world that's unlike any other thing in the world. Where the church should be a gathering place where people with all different kinds of persuasions, whether it's politically or ethnically or whatever, we gather together around the one thing that really matters, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not telling you in any way that you should not have strong political views. I have some pretty strong political views. But the church is not the place for those to be expressed to say the only people welcome here are people who think like we think. Now, understand, we live in Ozaki County. Look at the statistics. Almost everybody is of the same political persuasion. But like 75% are of one politi political persuasion. So it's easy for a church to fall into a trap of just saying, that's all we are. I want you to understand something. I don't think that's God's plan. Um, I think you should be politically active. I think you should be strong, have strong political views. I'm just saying the church is a place where we focus on the most important thing, which is Jesus. That's what we focus on. You're welcome to put all the signs in your front yard as you want. I don't care. I choose not to. I'm not saying you shouldn't at all. I choose not to because I want to reach my neighbors on either side. One are strong for one party and one strong for the other. I'm in the middle. <laughs> I want to lead them both to Jesus because that's more important. And so I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying for the church. The church should be apolitical. Now that bothers some of you. 
But I'll tell you, I think we've been fed a wrong, a, a wrong theology the last 20-some years with the Christian coalition concept. And I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be strong in politics. I think if you're strong, run for president. I will vote for you. Seriously. Run for governor. Run for, well, you know, we have a great governor. Run for, run for whatever. I will vote for you as a strong Christian, and we'll all vote for you. But in the church, it's a place to focus on Jesus. Now, I'm also wanting to be clear this morning. I am not criticizing the character or the man of our President Barack Obama this morning. I'm not going to criticize him because Scripture gives me a very... Here's, here's, the, here's why we need the book. The book tells us how to live, even when I don't like it. This is what it tells me. Pray for my leaders. Pray for my leaders. I'm t- I can disagree, but I need to pray for my leaders, not only our president, but, but all of our leaders, and right down to the leaders of our homes and the leaders of our churches. We need to pray for our leaders. So today, I don't want to criticize, but rather what I want to do is I want to uphold what God says in his word to be true about marriage. Um, and that just happens to be completely different than what our president stood up publicly and said this week. I want to make that clear. That what he said does not line up with what God's word says is right and what is best. Listen, friends, you need to understand something. If you're not a, if you're not a uh, student of history, you need to be. Because things kind of lose their, uh, their sense of having to be so alarmist. Because you see, things just happen in trends and things happen in certain ways. And, and here's what you understand, that beliefs and cultural values are always changing in every society of all times. And that's why it's so important for us to stand upon what never changes God and His Word. That's why we need to know it, and we need to live it, and we need to to stand upon it and live according to it. Not according to well-sounded, reasoned logic that might seem right for today, but in the end, because you don't know the end of the story when a person thinks without the Word of God, they don't know the, the end of the story of what happens when you go down that path. And so we need the people who stand upon what does not change. We stand upon God's word. Now let's understand something um, from the forefront. It's God. We're going to talk about family. This is why we need to think about this this way. It's God that made mankind. It's his idea. Therefore God is the one who defines how mankind should live. It's God who defines what's right and wrong for our lives and for our culture, even if other people don't agree. You see, God is God. And we are to live, to honor, and to glorify God. And to do that, we live according to His ways, which are always the best ways. That's what I try to teach my kids from the day they were born. God's ways are always best. You don't have to be that smart. I always say, Native Dad, and they go, we understand, Dad. You're not that smart. <laughs> I say, but you could be a genius if you simply live by the book. Because God's ways are always the best ways. See, understand something, friends. He's a lot smarter than we are. And we are always wise to believe and to obey what he says rather than what society says to be true, no matter how convincing they may be. So with that introduction, let's talk about marriage from God's perspective today. And to do this, we're going to just jump ahead a little bit in the Gospel of Mark, to chapter 10 of the Gospel of Mark. Grab your Bibles with me. Turn with me. The reason I always hesitate to do this kind of thing 
on a thing like Mother's Day, as I know whenever I deal with stuff, I'm going to deal with, with mothers. There's those of you who struggle with motherhood. Some because you've been unable to or have children. Some because of, of some real pain in your past. And this one, we're going to deal with motherhood, not only motherhood, but marriage. And marriage here, he deals, deals with in the context of marriage and divorce. I understand that divorce is also uh, a difficult subject. And so I know a way I wanted to pick this text today. It's more like I think the text picked us. Because where we're at, we just, just looked at one chapter ahead where we're at. And it deals with our, with our topic that is really um, fitting for today. So Mark chapter 10, we're going to read the first 12 verses. It says this, verse 1. Getting up, he, and he is who? Jesus. Went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. In the house, in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. What do we find here? We find the Pharisees questioning Jesus about divorce. Basically saying, how or why could a couple get divorced? And if they got a divorce, what procedure do they have to go through in order to make it light right in the eyes of their church? And it seems from the context there, what's going on here, it seems that they were more concerned with finding what could enable them to get a divorce and more concerned with what technicalities had to be done in the paper that they gave, the proper certificate that they gave for divorce, than they were concerned with broken marriages. Now when they asked Jesus about that, Jesus answers their question on divorce by explaining the biblical ideal for marriage. And I picked that word on purpose. The biblical ideal for marriage. Jesus didn't focus on divorce. He focused on marriage. And in a nutshell, this is what Jesus taught as a biblical ideal on marriage. Jesus taught that God's intent isn't to tell someone when to get divorced, but rather to establish marriage that, listen, is permanent, is exclusive, and is between a man and a woman. That's what he says here in the, in the text as the ideal. That marriage is permanent, it's exclusive, and it's between a man and a woman. And he does this primarily by looking back all the way to the first created couple, and he says this, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus is making a statement about marriage here. He's saying that the very way man and women are created, the very way they're formed physically, shows that marriage is designed by God himself to be between a man and a woman. That they were created by God to come together, to become one flesh. And that that very structure of our anatomy shows that God's intention for marriage is to be between a male and a female. That they become one. Creation itself reveals... That marriage is intended to be between a man and a woman, not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. So Jesus appeals all the way to the first couple to show that, saying it was God's plan to do it that way. And friends, I want you to understand today, it does not matter 
Would anybody else, including the President of the United States, or George Clooney, who had a big party for him because of his statements and raised $13 million in one night for his re-election campaign because of his statements that were anti-Bible, does not matter what, what any famous person, does not matter what the President himself has to say about this, God's design, according to creation, is that only for only men and women to come together and to become one flesh in marriage. You see, from the beginning of creation, God intended for men and women to leave their parents and cleave to one another and create something that is new and something that is permanent. That's why he said, for what God has joined together, let no man separate. It is new and it is created to be permanent and brought together. And then the two, he says, shall become one flesh, spiritually and physically, to create an exclusive union that he says no person should interrupt. He says, let no man separate. See, God created humanity and God created the sexual union of humanity to express the oneness and the permanence of marriage. And I want to understand something today that because we live in a culture, we only know our culture primarily, that we need to know where our culture's at. That in our culture, where we're at today, a sexually promiscuous society, that in a sexually promiscuous society that not only is deviant, but is promiscuous, that, that in that society, mar the marriage union is devalued. It loses its, its importance. And it's devalued in America today. And understand, friends, when that happens, that what happens is society itself suffers because its most basic building block is deteriorated. If you were to build a house today, and I said, I can sell you really cheap, it's going to sound logical, I can sell you really cheap these really nice-looking concrete blocks. You can build your house out of this. Put it up, put your, put your footings out, and build your concrete blocks as your foundation. But what I don't tell you is the end result, they only last 10 years and they crumble, they fall apart. They might look nice, they may, they may be cheap, they may sound like it's, like it's good. Matter of fact, they're 10% lighter and they're energy efficient, all the things I could say about them, but the house in time will crumble. That's what happens when you come to a topic like this and you devalue marriage, you devalue sexuality in God's terms that we understand that marriage and the family are the very building blocks that God builds a culture out of. God builds our, our homes, He builds our churches, He builds our society on the unit of the family. And when we, when we mess with the way God designed it to be, we mess with the integrity of the building blocks. And that's what we have going on right now. That's the, that's the, that's the long range that the short range people don't see. Is that in the end, our entire culture suffers. You see, God's plan is to build a great society. God's plan is to build great, great families and great churches. And you know what his plan starts with is this, that God wants marriages that will thrive. God's way, one man, one woman for life. That's the ideal. That's the goal we shoot for. We aim high. And we say that's the goal we shoot for. God's ideal, God's plan. Now let me give you a little insider information about that. Those of you who have maybe not been married all that long, those who are not married yet, or those of you who have somewhere in the middle. I've been married 23 years to the greatest woman on the planet. You can all argue with me later, I'm telling you. You can give her, I say that, you give her a hand, I believe it. The greatest, for me, the greatest woman on the planet. And uh, um, in 23 years I've learned something. 
that living the ideal isn't always so easy. Living the ideal isn't always a walk in the park. That all marriages have tough times. That God's plan is, is to have this, this great society built on great marriages, one man, one woman, for life. But living that ideal isn't always so easy. And that most marriages go through tough situations where one could conclude that breaking up the marriage is the answer, that divorce is the situation. We made a decision when we got married that the word divorce, no matter what, would never be spoken. It would never come out of our lips no matter what. I know I've said this to you before, but I gave Suzanne a promise when I married her, and you guys, as people laugh at me and they say, how could you be so horrible? I, I thought it was the greatest gift I could give her. I said, if I grow to hate you, I will never divorce you. You say, wow, you had great intentions going in. No, I'm just honest. I just understand life. I've just watched marriages and watched 50% of them collapse and said, if I grow to hate you, I'll never divorce you. The word divorce will never come out of our mouths because it's not God's plan. Even the most perfect couple getting together are going to struggle with marriage. But this is what I believe about marriage. I believe that based on God's word, not based on Mark's experience, that two Christian people, and I'm saying Christian people here, I'm, I'm, I'm making an exception for those who are not, who willfully are not walking according to the, the word of God. We're not talking about societies at all, I'm talking about us. People who say we're Christians. I believe that two Christian people can get through any difficulty in marriage. It will be tough, it will be painful, but it is possible. And I want to explain for you just for a few minutes a very incredibly simplistic illustration that you can base, use as the, base, the basic building blocks for building your marriage and for maintaining your marriage and for rebuilding Christian marriages once they've had problems. Something I maybe shared with you before, but I share it all the time and I live it in my life and that's why I share it. And I want you in your mind, picture with me a triangle. So you say, oh, I've heard this before. Well, then hear it again. The triangle is this way. At the top of the triangle, you put God himself because God always belongs to the top. And at the point of the triangle, you put a husband and a wife. And the goal to make this great marriage, this great marriage that God's going to use to build a great society, is for a husband and a wife to come together. Because great marriages are built on unity. They're based on togetherness. They're based on being equally yoked. It's why the selection of your mate is so incredibly important. And why I want to ask God when you get in heaven, why would you make us choose our mate when we're so dumb and so young? Because we don't think. We don't have experience yet. That's why God put children and family so moms and dads can help make that decision. I honestly believe that. I believe that's why in other cultures, their marriage rates are successes so much higher than ours because, you know what? The kid, the people down here, husband and wife, they don't even choose their mate. Mom and dad do and aunts and uncles do and they say this is a good fit. Now, I'm not advocating that because I wouldn't be married to my wife because they never would have, her parents never let her marry me. That's the God's honest truth. They never would have let her marry me. But, when you choose the mate and you have a husband and a wife, the way you get closer together is each of you go closer to God. Because down here you're this far apart, but when you go closer to God, to the point, it draws you together. And the way that we work on great marriages is we work on our relationship with God. As both of us move closer to God, we move together. What happens often in marriage is one person is moving closer to God and the other person is moving further away. And they say, how come since I came to Christ my marriage seems worse? It happens that way sometimes. Because actually the gap gets bigger because suddenly you're living God's way. It doesn't mean you don't live for God. You keep living for God. And you keep praying for the other one to come on board and, and get on board and come along on the journey with Jesus. 
So as we move closer to God, you both move closer to each other. I'm not saying it's easy. Friends, understand, the key to a great marriage is both of you getting closer to God. So remember, marriage is God's idea. When you get closer to God, it conforms you more closely to, to the image of Jesus. We look, we think, we act more like Jesus, and that makes you a better and a more desirable spouse. When you get closer to Jesus, love flows more freely. Forgiveness flows more readily. Kindness is more apparent in the relationship. All of those things that are needed for a great re- a marriage. You know, marriage isn't supposed to be something you endured. But with all those things possible, all those things evident, it's just endured. God wants something more than endurance. He wants you to enjoy marriage. Enjoying marriage comes as you both move closer to God. In church, I believe this with all my heart. We can achieve God's ideal for our marriage. One man, one woman for life. If our goal as individuals and as couples and as a church is to be more like Jesus. Now I understand something as I say all this. I realize that some of you come to Christ, come in now or find yourself today in a situation with a broken marriage in your past. And that can't be changed. But your future can be changed. You know that? You can aim for the goal now. For the rest of your life. Apostle Paul says putting behind us. And looking forward to what's ahead. We can do that in marriage. We can do that in our relationship. We can forget the past. And we can move into the future saying I want to draw closer together. To move closer, closer to God. So we move closer to the point that draws us closer together. Friends that's God's plan for us. You know why it's his plan for us? Not only for you to enjoy it. I love being married. That's one of the reasons. I can't imagine my life without Suzanne. I always tell her if something happens, you know, I'm just going to go out in the lake about 10 miles out, put on really heavy clothes, and jump out of the boat. Because I know I can't swim back. So I can't live without you. You know, that's just the way, that's the way we are. So marriage is designed for, 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 for enjoying one another. But there's more to it than that. It's just not about your enjoyment. Understand that one of the reasons God made you a great, wants to give you a great marriage is because the great marriage is the greatest witnessing tool on the planet. A great, solid marriage is a tool to show people who God really is. That, that a great, it's a great witnessing tool in the world that just shows that, that how love is supposed to operate and how forgiveness is supposed to operate. That God uses the Christian marriage. That's why it's the very first institution He ever created. He created a marriage. And you know why he did it? He said, because I want to show the world how much I love you. Your marriage is a witnessing tool to the world. See, people are supposed to see your marriage and want what you have. I hope people look at our marriage and want what I have. And I know they do, because people say it to me. I give her more credit than that, but you know what? It takes both of us. So maybe I don't give her more credit. It's it's equally 100% involvement. People see your marriage, they should see your marriage and want what you have. And understand this, friends. You say, well, I hope you don't say this, but I don't really care about people looking at it. Well, you should, but if somehow reason you don't, understand this. Your children see your marriage, and they should want what you have. This is why that's so important. That when your kids see a solid, holy marriage, they understand and they believe, then, that God is true. That God, that God designed marriage to be, to, to be between a godly man and a godly woman. If they do that, it's a wonderful experience and you love being married. But when your children see an ungodly marriage, when they see unforgiveness, when they see a lack of love, when they see people not putting God first, it's then that they begin to entertain the lies of the world. And they say things like this, well, just maybe 
Barack Obama is right. Just maybe his view is right. It makes more sense. After all, I've seen their train wreck of a marriage, and maybe there's another way that makes more sense. Because that way is not working. I'm not saying to bring condemnation. I'm saying that to, for you to have a higher goal than you've ever had before, maybe, in marriage. You know why you have to work hard, why you don't quit, why you keep drawing close to God, why you drag your carcass out of bed and spend time with the Lord in the morning. Because it's for your kids. Because you're going to build a great relationship. See, when we live, out, we live our Christianity in, front of our, in our marriages out in front of our kids, they will grow up and say, that's what I want. My kids, I've raised them. To look for a wife, I always say, marry someone just like your mom. One day I said that to one of the boys, I forget which one, and they said, Dad, shut up. If you peeled my head back and looked at my brain, it would say, marry someone just like your mom. You know, I forget which one of you said that. But I always say, I care about who you choose for a spouse at this point more than you do. Because I'm thinking down the road, you're thinking short term. The fact of the matter is, I want kids, I want kids to look at our marriages, our kids to look at our marriages and say, that's what I want, because you're living God's way. So we need to live out great marriages so our kids will want what we have. Now, that's the ideal. And I use that word on purpose. That's the ideal. But, let's be honest, because of sin in our world, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, sin controls the world. The Bible says the devil is the prince of the power of the air. He controls the world. Because of sin in our world, it's created a bunch of destruction. And so Jesus, in this text we looked at, goes on to talk about an allowance for divorce. Verses 11 11 and 12, he talks about allowance for divorce. And so we need to talk about it, and I really hate to talk about it, especially on Mother's Day, because I know it can drag up some bad feelings. But let's look at verses verses, uh, 11 and 12. So the disciples began to question in verse 11. It says, And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Now understand, Matthew adds something really important here. That's why you need to read the whole Bible. Matthew adds something really important here. He adds the words, except for immorality or except for adultery. So whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, except for the case of immorality or adultery. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. So he puts that disclaimer in there. Let's understand what's going on here. First of all, Jesus says that divorce is only an allowance by God because of people's hard hearts. Verses 5 and 6 say, Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning, God made them male and female. Um, For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and become cleave to his wife. That he says that's only an allowance. That God never wanted people to get divorced. That marriage is intended to be permanent and exclusive and it's God's plan forever. Now I want to tell you something here. It's a Christian key. You need to hear me today, because this is not believed by the church world anymore. It has been a complete shift in the last 20 years, and I can't believe it's happened in my lifetime. I've watched it happen. Understand this, that God's allowance for divorce is not a mandate for divorce. Remember I said in the beginning that even even marriages that got everything going on are still tough? Every marriage is tough. It just is. And God's allowance for divorce is not a mandate for divorce. Just because one partner doesn't act that justifies divorce, whether by God or by society, that does not mean that that person must get divorced. You see, God's ideal is to let love and forgiveness repair any hurts. So divorce is unnecessary, even though I know that's that's seemingly impossible at times when you've been hurt so deeply. 
You know, you say, how can I forgive and love someone who's hurt me so deeply? All I can say is this, is I know it's possible in Christ because God says it's possible. And that he can make the impossible possible. Now that being said, understand, that in his text though, Jesus goes on and says that there's one acceptable reason for divorce. He says it's adultery. That's what Matthew adds to the text. Jesus understands that when someone crosses there, that, that line, the damage is so great that he makes allowance for the hurt party to then get out of the marriage. That in marriage, two people become one physically and spiritually before God and man, and the breaking of that union does constitute grounds for divorce. It does not mean a person has to. Friends, it's not about irreconcilable differences. It's not about drifting apart. It's not about, well, you know, we're just going to separate and become friends because we're just better apart. No. There's only one, one grounds, according to Scripture, for divorce. And Jesus goes on to say that remarrying without that justification is to commit adultery in your new marriage because you've still got another marriage that's existing. Here's the deal. Jesus talked about marriage. Why does he right away have to go to divorce? Why did the scriptures force me to go there? There's a reason for it. It's not to criticize people who are divorced. It's because divorce destroys lives. And God loves us too much to not protect us from it. Friends, understand, marriage is the basic unit upon which God builds our society. And if marriages fail, our society fails. And that's what President Obama fails to see. That a great society is built on great marriages. And that's why God wants us to have strong and lasting marriages. And as a church, you know what we need to do? We need to do what Jesus did. We focus our attention, as Jesus did, not on divorce, not on, not on marriages between, between uh, same-sex partners, but we focus our attention on how we can build strong marriages. Pastor Bruce, did you ever have Dr. Best for a professor at Central Bible College? You don't know that, some of you don't know if you, that Pastor Bruce and I went to the same college. Um, Dr. Best was the head of the counseling department. And he said, when you talked, because Suzanne and I went to marriage um, and really said, we want a great marriage, and they had a great marriage, him and his wife. We said, what do you do? And we spent a lot of time with, with Dr. Best and his wife, a lot of time in their home and time spending with them. We said, you guys have a great marriage. What can we do? And he said, Mark, here's the key. He compared it to, to going to school. So most, all of you have gone to school at some point. And he used an analogy that will all make sense to us. He said, you know how much effort it takes to get an A in a class? The difference between an A and a B in a class he said, anybody can get a C, a B, you put a little effort into it, but that difference between a B and an A, a straight A student, is enormous. He said, an A marriage takes A effort. He said, you're never going to get an A marriage with B effort. And we took that from the very first year of our marriage and said, we're going to put A effort into our marriage so that we have an A marriage. Friends, understand, we can have great marriages, but it takes A effort. It takes going closer to God so we're closer to one another. You know what? We can have great marriages. And you know why? Because it is God's will. That's what God wants for us. You know, if you've been hurt by divorce, there's healing in that. It's not, it doesn't make you a second-rate person. But understand, look forward to the future and begin to shoot for the ideal. What's God's plan for marriage? One man, one woman for life. That's the target we shoot for. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to end a little differently. We're going to end by praying for our country. And if you're comfortable doing this, um, especially families, I'd like you just to join hands with somebody next to you. And I want to lead us in prayer. And we're going to pray for our nation and our families. But I think it's the appropriate way to end because very rare will you ever have me stand up and say, because of current events, I feel we need to talk about this topic today. 
but because of current events, I feel we have to talk about this topic today. And so let's pray and ask God to do what only God can do.